When you're acting as your doodle's teacher during training, do you know their learning style? Take our exclusive fun and free quiz to find out at thedoodlepro.com slash learning and make training more fun and successful. I'm taking a training class right now that's taught by a young trainer who took a workshop from us years ago and she was recounting the story of taking our workshop and she said, I learned to make my recall cue fun and her recall cue is pickles. Now, how fun is that? Pickles can't be growly or stern when you're yelling pickles that begs the question what kind of voice do we want to speak to our dog in what kind of what kind of voice do we want to say our recall cue in a loving fun voice it might need to be loud yeah if your dog is at a distance from you but yeah let's pick a fun cue shazam cookie lottery yeah yeah make it fun pickle i use boomerang I want it to be something, I don't want to hide my head in the sand if I've yelled it, like, happy hour, which I know is cute, too, if I'm outside, where adults might come running. But you can't angrily and sternly, even if I feel frustrated, I can't angrily yell, boomerang. It just, it it doesn't come out that way. Exactly. But why would a dog want to come to you if you're sternly yelling? I, I... if my husband said that that way to me, I'd go the other direction. I wouldn't feel like it'd be a delightful thing to rejoin that person talking to me in that way. Exactly. I want my relationship with my dog to be like the relationship is with my partner. It happens to be my husband. We have just a supportive, respectful relationship. And I want to have a supportive, respectful relationship with my dog. We are a partner. We are a team together. Doodle breed dogs are easy to love, but can be challenging to parent. I'm doodle expert Corinne Gearhart, also known as the Doodle Pro, and I'm here to help doodle parents have a more fulfilling and rewarding experience with their doodles. No one has professionally worked with as many different doodle breeds or has more experience with doodles than I have. And I love to share my expertise in a fun, compassionate, and non-judgmental way. From my years of work and education in the pet care and dog training industry, I have an incredible network of skilled training, grooming, and veterinary professionals to share their knowledge with you and give you the doodle-specific answers you're looking for. I hope you enjoy today's episode as I help you parent your doodle like a pro. I want to give a shout out to one of our listeners who took a minute to share a review on Apple Podcasts. This is what Left Hand Pianist shared on their Apple Podcast review. Helpful and informative for anyone who loves dogs. I have a lab and still find Corinne's show so informative. In addition to her knowing doodles like nobody's business, her positive reinforcement tips and her guest advice are helpful for anyone who wants to do well with their dog. Thank you so much for your kind words and the time you took to share that. If you'd like a shout out, please take a minute to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite streaming service. And this will tell the streaming services to share our podcast and doodle loving message with more people. Now, let's talk about teaching your dog to come when you call with the top trainer and author of Rocket Recall, Lisa Lyle Wagner. Our interview was so helpful, I couldn't just cut it off because of time. 
This is part two of the interview where Lisa walks us through her 12 steps of rocket recall so you can have a solid foundation to dive in. If you want to hear Lisa answer frequently asked questions and concerns about teaching your dog to come and share what the science shows is the most humane and effective method, catch part one in last week's episode. Recall is a life-saving skill, and this is a great episode for families with doodles of all ages. Welcome, doodle parents. I am thrilled to have back Lisa Lyle Wagner. She is such a pro at training, and we are so happy to have her here today. If you want to know more about how to teach your dog to come every time, I suggest you listen to part one of this interview where she explains the whys and the why nots of some of the things that she doesn't recommend, just giving some of the basis. But today in this interview, in part two, we're going to get more into the nitty gritty of her step-by-step rules for teaching rocket recall. For those watching on video, this is her book. And you can see, I'm going to try to get it on camera there, all of my highlights. I just devoured this book. And I had all these questions ready to ask Lisa. And then I got to one of the last chapters that she calls the 12 rules. And it summarized all of my major questions. I'm glad that's right. (laughs) And so I asked Lisa if she wouldn't mind spending some extra time with our doodle parents and going through what she calls the 12 rules of recall. Lisa, do you mind introducing yourself again to our guests for those who haven't listened? Oh, sure. I'll be happy to. Lisa Lyle Wagoner, and our company is Cold Nose College. My husband is also a professional dog trainer, so he's my business partner. And we have four other trainers who work with us under the Cold Nose College umbrella. I love, love, love this book. In the beginning, you explained a lot of the science and the whys of the different steps that you created to build a rock-solid rocket recall. I like that with having the whys in the beginning, if something isn't working, you can return to that and you have that knowledge foundation to know why it's not working if you're training independently here with your puppy. But you also teach it in a way that your eyes don't glaze over. And it still stays interesting for someone who doesn't train dogs for profession. So I really appreciated that. It just makes me so happy to hear you say that. It's important to be able to have easily understood concepts. Otherwise, you don't want to pay attention to them. But if you have that ground level of support and understanding of why, then you're better set up for success. And then when you stumble, which we all stumble, stumble is just that normal speed bump that crops up in training. Learning never goes from point A to point Z. It's not a straight line. It moves like a roller coaster, if you right. will. You can go back and understand, okay, maybe I didn't have a high enough value reinforcer for this distraction. I'm a firm believer in creating a reinforcement hierarchy, which means You understand your dog's distractions and you understand what your dog will work for in the presence of that distraction. I completely agree. Before owning my own business, I've worked for many bosses and companies. I am more motivated if I am paid accordingly. And after a week of working somewhere that's really difficult, if somebody just gave me a pat on the head and said, good girl, 
I'm not going to work so hard the next week, no matter how much value I find in the work. Reinforcement needs to continue. We never stop totally reinforcing or we lose a behavior. You know, we did a television spot last week and the host of the show was asking about food. And she said, do you ever stop using food? And I said, I may stop using food, but I use another reinforcer because a behavior to stay strong does need to be reinforced. And I said, I bet, Julie, I bet you are so good at your job here, but has your boss stopped paying you? I bet you're still getting paid every week or once a month for the work you do. So a job well done should be reinforced in the yeah, way, shape, or form. What people's goal that they think they're trying to attain would be they kept docking her pay every time because she was getting better at it. So then she was more successful. She should get paid less or not at all. Yeah. And so let me add this too. I have recalled my dog to me previously and then not had food on me, not had a ton toy on me. I had nothing but me. But guess what? Because of the way I'm reinforcing my dog. There's a strong reinforcement history with me. So I'm a reinforcer. I flop down on the ground and play with my dog. Yeah. And that's really reinforcing to him. And that's really different than the pat on the head. Good boy. Move along. Before we get into these 12 rules, can you remind our listeners why teaching your dog to come when you call them is a life-saving skill? Absolutely. You never know where you're going to be with your dog when you choose to let them off leash. I don't take risks with my dogs that I did 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah. I'm more careful. But if you have your dog off leash somewhere, maybe that's off leash in your yard. You never know when your gate's going to be open. You never know when they're going to be distracted beyond what you thought they were. And if you have trained through distractions and have trained a solid recall, when you call, it will save your dog's life. So it can keep them out of harm's way. When I look in your book, I see you describe the 12 rules of recall. I'm going to read this tiny passage. What is a rocket recall? It is that glorious moment when anytime and anywhere you say come, Your dog immediately and enthusiastically turns on a dime and bounds rapidly to you. So that is the dream. And I appreciate that you gave us the steps on how to get there. So your first rule is train it, practice it. Can you tell us more what you mean by that? Without a doubt, recall the learned behavior. Just like anything else we teach, dogs don't come with the English software package. So they don't know what come means. They don't know what sit means. We have to teach them what we want them to do, and then reinforce them for that. When you're practicing a new behavior or training a new behavior, you first need to do it in an environment that's not distracting. And so I tell people that an indoors off-leash recall within your house is like a high school diploma. Pretty easy to get because it's a low-distraction environment. Yeah. At least most homes are. But outside, an off-leash recall is like a PhD. It takes a little more time and attention and work to get there, but it's possible. Your second rule, and we touched on this briefly, use the highest value reinforcers for recall practice. So you described that PhD. 
Can you tell us more about this? I will. And so in the book, you'll learn more about a reinforcement hierarchy. But recall coming to you, if you think of a dog outside, all those wonderful smells, your dog coming back to you, that's a really big deal amidst all those distractions since our dogs see the world through their nose. So I want to pay my dog really well. So I'm going to have something that just makes their eyes light up. Yeah, I'd love to have another piece of that, please. Yes. And that may be different for every dog. I've seen dogs spit out a hot dog and prefer a carrot. Truly, it's an odd thing. It doesn't happen very frequently, but it's happened before. So I want something my dog is definitely going to be saying, not just, eh, I want I don't want that, or that's pretty good. I want to see them clamoring toward me to say, oh, please, can I have another piece? I'd like them to be mugging me for that food. That's how I know that food is strong enough. I was trying to find something for Keaton, my new puppy. All of the things that had worked with Kaylee were to him, at least in the beginning. And so cook some hot dogs, put them in my pocket, and... Where was he but up on my lap, nosing my pockets? Like, yep. (laughs) And you recommend in your book gauging what is high value or not to them before you're in that high distraction moment in the field where their nose is just lit up with all of the delicious Yeah, absolutely. It's really important to do the work to understand what's distracting to your dog. And you probably know, you maybe just not have defined it really yet. And then you've probably tried different foods with your dog and you can have an idea of what he likes or doesn't like. But then to pair those with a low value distraction with a low value reinforcer and medium, medium, high, high. Sit and stay right there. We'll be back right after this quick break. Dog's body language is a foreign language to us humans. Are you wondering how fluent you are? Take our free quiz at thedoodlepro.com slash body and find out how fluent you are in reading dog's body language. Do you want your doodle to listen the first time? When we're asking difficult things of our doodles, we need to pay them accordingly. We've had hundreds of doodles taste test different treats, and we've got a great list of their favorites. Go to thedoodlepro.com backslash treat freebie for our free list of doodles favorite treats so you can get your doodle to listen the first time. Your third rule, reinforce all check-ins during other times of the day. And that touches on one of your early games that you do with training. So a check-in is any time your dog chooses to look at you or come up to you. So any time during the day when Keaton walks up to me or walks by me, I'm going to say, hey, buddy, good job, or because he's a puppy right now and we're training, I usually always have food on me. So I'm going to pay up. Hey, buddy, that was a really nice thing to do. If we're out in the garden and he waltzes over to me, I'm going to give him a piece of food. This morning, he was rummaging around in the creek and playing in the creek. And he chose to look at me and come to me without my 
for calling in. I paid him for that. More you reinforce that attention to you, the more you're going to get it. I completely agree. Rule number four is a common mistake I see where people can taint or tarnish their recall. And you say, never call a dog for anything the dog doesn't like. So to me, that might be coming in from the yard. You're about to leave the house. You're going to kennel them and they know they're going to be isolated and alone, et cetera. Yeah. It could also be for people who choose to use safe dog parks. And I think a safe dog park is maybe just you and your dog. I happen to not be a fan of dog parks unless they're very well run and supervised. Anytime your dog comes to you and you do something to them that they don't like, such as giving them a bath, clipping their nails, assuming they don't Mm -hmm. like their nails, clip. If you call them to you and then you do something that they don't like, what are the chances they're coming to you again? Less, for sure. So if you do have to call your dog in from outside of your backyard to then come in the house and then maybe go to work if you kennel them, do something else with them when you come in. Play a game of tug, play a short little game um, before you kennel them. And hopefully you're giving them some sort of an enrichment tool when they're in their crater kennel as well. So that coming to you when you've called doesn't equal punishment in their eyes or the removal of the thing that they enjoyed. Yeah. Coming to you should always be, I want to say reinforced, but always should be met with something that the dog likes. Yes. Excellent. And that goes into rule number five. If you don't think your dog will come, don't waste the cue. Absolutely. If your dog is already chasing a squirrel, don't waste your cue. Because we, every time you say your cue, we want your dog to return because that means they're going to get reinforced and that reinforcement is going to make that behavior stronger. So if your dog is out in the backyard and barking at a neighbor dog, he's aroused. He's probably not going to hear you. So just go get your dog. Walk up to your dog, walk closer to him and invite him to come in the house. It's a natural thing for dogs to be distracted out of doors. And the protocol in my book helps you understand how to work through those distractions and how to level your training so that you are always building upon the last step for further success. And you really detail in your book, if you've made those mistakes, which are really common, of calling your dog away from something to something they don't like coming up with a new novel cue that could be more effective because you haven't burned it. You haven't made it ineffective by making those couple of mistakes. I think life is more fun when we're using fun words. And recall is certainly more fun if we're using fun words. I'm taking a training class right now that's taught by a young trainer who took a workshop from us years ago. And she was recounting the story of taking our workshop. And she said, I learned to make my recall cue fun. And her recall cue is pickles. Now, how fun is that? Pickles. It can't be growly or stern when you're yelling pickles. That begs the question of what kind of voice do we want to speak to our dog in? What kind, of, what kind of voice do we want to say our recall cue in? A loving, fun voice. It might need to be loud Yeah. if your dog is at a distance from you. But yeah, let's pick a fun cue. Shazam, cookie, lottery. Yes. 
Yeah. Make it fun. Pickle. I use boomerang. I want it to be something I don't want to hide my head in the sand if I've yelled it like happy hour, which I know is cute too. If I'm outside where adults might come running, but you can't angrily and sternly, even if I feel frustrated, I can't angrily yell boomerang. It just, it it doesn't come out that way. Exactly. But why would a dog want to come to you if you're sternly yelling? I, I, if my husband said that that way to me, I'd go the other direction. I wouldn't feel like it'd be a delightful thing to rejoin that person talking to me in that way. Exactly. I want my relationship with my dog to be like the relationship is with my partner. It happens yeah. to be my husband. We have just a supportive, respectful relationship. And I want to have a supportive, respectful relationship with my dog. We are a partner. We are a team together. And we have a bond because of the time we spend together. And yes. so that's important too. It goes beyond the recall training. You know, the more time you spend with your dog doing things you both enjoy, operative word, you both enjoy, then the stronger that bond is going to be. And I do love that aspect of your method because it only adds to that relationship and solidifies it as opposed to breaking it down to just get obedience because you made a command. So I really love that piece of it. So rule number six, you say, if you make a mistake on rule number five by using the cue and the dog doesn't respond, save the recall. Can you tell me what you mean? Oh, when we talk about saving the recall, I just have to laugh because I yeah. think about the classes that we used to teach and the workshops we used to teach where people were saving the recall. I'll talk about that, you know, what it is in a minute. But we had so much fun and people were so animated. So saving the recall means finding a way to get your dog to return to you. So what does that way mean? It could mean patting your legs. It could be clapping your hands. Hey, buddy, come on. It could be very animated. I say yeah. find your inner cartoon character. Uh-huh. But we have seen some crazy things happen in class. People jumping up, like doing jumping jacks to yeah. try to get their dog's attention. And it did. It caused their dog to turn away from that distraction and return to them. Yes. Don't be afraid to find your inner cartoon character to help your dog return. One way that's really awesome, if you can get up off the ground, plop down on the ground. Just plop on the ground and lay flat. And your dog is going to go, what in the heck just happened to my person? And they're going to scurry over to you. Tell you it's happened every single time. Or squat down and dig in the grass. Just pretend like you found something in the grass. And the dog's really curious. Oh, what do you have? And they'll usually be right to you. So those are some ways to save your recall. I love it. And while you're doing those things and you're doing your inner cartoon animal, you're not yelling, here, right? Absolutely not. I might be squealing, but I'm not saying any cue. I'm not repeating my cue. I'm just being really silly and trying to get my dog's attention from whatever they're focused on. I've heard the term, my dog loses focus. He doesn't lose focus. He's gained focus on something else, He's just, which has caused him to be distracted. So I need to get his focus back to me. And 
boy, there are so many fun ways to do that with our voices and our animated way of moving our body. My go-to is running away. And chasing me can be pretty exciting if I've built those foundational steps of catch me if you can. And I would imagine that you were running away is also now a cue itself. It is. (laughs) It is for me too. And that's from the chase me game that I I have in my book. It's it's running away is inherently takes advantage that dog's genetic desire to chase something. You, right? It starts that way in the yard. If I go inside, I ran in there and it became something fun and the fun continued inside. And now my just turning to walk inside has created a similar response. I don't have to look like a cartoon character every time yeah. I'm entering my home from the yard. I love and it. rule number seven is say the cue only once and never repeat it. Correct. And we want our dogs to learn that when we say the cue the first time that they will respond that first time. Repeating the cue over and over again, it causes the cue to lose value and has no relevance to your dog. It's, I think back to when I was a child and we had an old fashioned hookup to the faucet dishwasher, not a built in dishwasher. And it would be time to unload the dishwasher. Lisa, come unload the dishwasher. And I'd continue doing whatever I was doing. Lisa, come unload the dishwasher. It didn't matter how many times she said that word. I was just staying engaged with whatever I was focused on. It wasn't until I heard my middle name that I would actually, oh, that's the cue that matters. Yeah. Yeah. I just learned that was irrelevant. Uh, So, yes, say the cue once and then, but, but when you say it, You've trained it already. You've had that reinforcement history previously so that further on down the road, you won't have to worry about the fact that, oh my gosh, I shouldn't say it again. And I teach my kids that every time they are giving a cue to one of the dogs, that it's in a happy birthday voice. It should sound fun. Oh, I and like exciting. that. Yeah, I like that. Only be like, birthday birthday. Voice. That's so good. Yes. <laughs> you can't be that bad either. So, <laughs> yeah. even if you're frustrated and you're trying to redirect their behavior, you can't say that one, Matt, and it gets their attention in an effective way. I would say that I also have in this, under this rule, say the cue only once, never repeat the cue. Mm-hmm. That kind of ties in with the find your inner Looney Tune character, your inner cartoon character. Mm-hmm. Because if my dog hesitates and goes, maybe not, I don't know, yeah. I'm really distracted then I'm going to do something else to get them to return to me. Yeah, little kissy noises, clapping, and I love the digging and laying down. Those are excellent. Rule number eight, never punish your dog if your dog doesn't come when called, I think is one of the critical ones. We want the result of your dog returning to you to always be something of value to the dog, something that they love. So even if your dog was digging up tunnels of mole tunnels in your yard yeah. and you call your dog and they don't come for a moment, but they finally do come to you, find it in your heart to, to tell them what a good dog they are, how much yeah. you love them. You came back, make it happy because if you don't, then 
punishment by its nature is designed to d- help a be- to drive a behavior down to decrease we don't want your recall de- to decrease so always reinforce your dog even if it takes them a while to get back to you and you do see that a lot that somebody could be angry about behavior they didn't like that their dog was doing or even if a dog gets into something that you don't want them to have in their mouth you'll see scolding after the dog does come to you. And that really tarnishes that recall and the drop it as well. In my world, and I know yours too, mm-hmm. we're always adding to our dogs, the bank account, right? Yeah. We're always adding to that and building that bank account up. And that scolding and that punishment for not coming when called are huge withdrawals. Yes. And so you always want to strive to add to your dog's bank account. I love that. So number nine, always give the dog a huge payoff. Yes. Find something your dog absolutely will do backflips over, something that they love. Oftentimes, the stinkier, the better. I'd like soft treats over hard treats. So softer treats versus hard biscuit type treats. Make sure they love it. You should do that work ahead of time to know that they'll do backflips for it. I like to reinforce for a length of time. You know, in my book, I say 15 to 30 seconds. That's a long time if, if you're actually timing it. But if I say 15 to 30 seconds, then maybe people will actually get five or seven seconds in. Yeah. Draw out that reinforcement period. And I think it was Leslie Nelson in Reliable Recall who talked about that, that fine dining experience. The more time you spend in that moment speaking kindly to your dog and reinforcing for 15 to 30 seconds, that's going to strengthen their return to you. That's a huge deposit into that bank account. And it is so not our intuition. People picture a tiny biscuit or a tiny treat and then they move on. And even after you've trained recall, you're going to, you're going to continue to reinforce your dog at some level whether it's food or a, a, a toy reinforcer. Because if we stop reinforcing something, we're going to lose the strength of that. Correct. I completely agree. Your next rule, number 10, touches on what you just said. Maintain it after you train it. Any skill that we learn, if we don't practice it, we lose it. So you can find moments in your everyday life to call your dog and reinforce them for it. It could be in the garden. It could be on a walk. Even if you're on a leash, you could call your dog when they're starting to disengage from sniffing something. Have them return to you. Reinforce it. Yeah. So find those little times throughout your day to maintain it so the behavior stays strong. And as your dog gets older out of puppyhood, you'll often find a broader menu of reinforcements. As you get to know your dog, we have some that a toss of a ball is worth more than any of the stinky cheese, but it can take a while for that maturity and for you to hone in on what the. Can. Let me go on and say with this number 10, maintain it after you train it. Dogs and people, when they're learning something, have to move through the four stages of learning. You acquire yeah. the skill first, then you have to become fluent with it. Then you have to take that skill and generalize it to a lot of different locations. 
before it's really reliable in a lot of, in all of those places. But then once it is reliable in all those places, we have to continue to reinforce it periodically to keep it strong. Thank you for walking us through that. Your rule number 11 is play the hide and seek game with your dog. It's fun for you, builds the desire in your dog to find you, and it's fun for both of you. I've just started doing this with Keaton, and it's so fun. I think I've said before, he's new to her home. He's been here five weeks. He's 14 weeks old. And to see the joy in him when he finds me now is so much fun in your home. And do start inside your house first. If you have another person in your home, you can have that person distract the dog. If not, you can drop a few pieces of food and then tiptoe away and hide somewhere in the house. Give your dog a little time to see if they'll miss you and find, start looking for you on their own. If they don't, just make a little noise so their ears will perk up and they'll notice that you're gone and start searching for you. And when they find you, so a party. Be excited. Temper yourself based on your dog's personality. I have a pretty exuberant personality and <laughs> my dog's have learned to deal with that, but I have to be careful with client dogs and not get too exuberant and scare piddle. <laughs> yeah, I have the same. <laughs> so I have to learn to temper my own personality. We throw a big party and we live in a small home. I don't have a lot of places to hide. So he's going to learn pretty quickly where those places are, but it's, it just, it drives your dog's desire to find you. Mm -hmm. And I do it outside. I'll eventually do it outside with him, of course. When we're walking about the pasture, I'll step behind a tree. And I've already done that and just peek to see when will he notice that I'm not there. And he's like, where did she go? I better go looking for her. He'll make his way to me. And puppies instinctually at that developmental stage want to be near you. And your reinforcement of that. Tell me how you described the analogy with cement again. So, yes. So engineers reinforce mm -hmm. concrete with rebar, with other, with metal pieces to make it stronger. And so, yes, we reinforce our dog's behavior with food to make that behavior stronger. Yes. And as they developmentally could evolve, immature and be less like anxious if mom's not right there. They've already had that check-in with mom or dad or their puppy parent to know that wonderful things happen when I stay yeah. and check in. Absolutely. And with puppies, again, an older dog can learn all these skills easily too when you implement them. But with puppies, those before they hit that period where they're developmentally starting to hit the point where they're going to explore the world and move out onto their own, take advantage of that following you to reinforce that so that behavior is cemented early in them. I love using the hide-and-seek game with kids. It's something that they already understand playing in childhood. And a lot of times parents will get a puppy or add a dog to their family for their children's sake, in addition to their own, or sometimes instead of their own. And one of the parents is the one doing the walks, doing the feeding and the training, and the bond often goes to the adult. And I love using the hide and seek game to help build that bond with the kids and let the dog know a party comes 
when you find them too. And what better than kids having fun and dogs having fun together? Yes. And building a skill at the same time. And a bond, a bond and respect for each other as well. Yes, it's a two for one there. Your final rule I love, and it's again one that is counterintuitive to people if they're thinking of training their dog to come. Rule number 12, you have recall and release. Absolutely. And so you have to have a safe environment to play this. You don't want to release your dog to go do something else if it's not a safe environment. But when you call your dog to you, don't let the return to you always end the fun. So when you're practicing, when they return to you, release them to go play or go sniff. I did it today. It wasn't a formal recall. It was really a check-in. Keaton came to me and I reinforced him for coming making that decision of checking in with me. And then I said, go play. And he went back into the creek and romped in the creek. It's so important because then that additional release is also reinforcing. Yes. And it means that you're a conduit to more fun happening. And I love that. It really is counterintuitive when people are thinking about their dog coming. Thank you for outlining that. You're welcome. We hear from some of our students, treats don't work with my dog because they're not food motivated. What do you say when you're working with a student who has that impression when working with their dog? I would ask a question for um, most of the time when a client tells me that, when I ask the question about how they feed their dog's meal, usually free feeding their dog. Yes. So, you know, that constant buffet of food out all day, causes food to lose value. Mm-hmm. So it's preferred, and veterinarians will tell you this too, to feed your dog one or two times a day. I feed my dogs twice. Keaton is eating three times a day because he's a puppy. puppy. Yes. But if your dog won't work for food, that means one of two things. Your dog doesn't find food valuable because you probably are free feeding or your dog may not be comfortable in a specific environment. So if a dog won't eat, they may be anxious or scared or overly aroused. Even overly aroused dogs who are comfortable still won't take food. Case in point, went last night to the first training class with Keaton. He hasn't been around a lot of other dogs. What is the first dog that he saw last night? Giant adult Doberman. He was like, oh, my God. He was aroused. He wasn't scared. But yeah. Oh, what is that? He's pulling to get to it. I had hot dogs, which are normally high value for Great. him. It was like, <laughs> was it broccoli? I ended up having to pick him up and take him into class. There was no way I was going to get him, lure him away. Yeah. So, yes, you do what you can in the moment. And that's them being over arousal. And... A lot of times when people first start practicing using treats with their dogs are in those puppy classes. When it is one of the first times they've seen a dog that does not look like their litter mates or their mom. And it is a lot to take in. And that's usually not at a point where they're able to take them. So doing them where they're feeling. Uh, like yes. When a dog won't eat, you, you think about why. Look at your environment. First of all, are you free feeding? If you aren't, then maybe my dog's too aroused. Maybe my dog's fearful in some way, shape, or form. You may be able to tell that if you have dog body language, you should be able to understand 
which one of those behaviors your dog is feeling. And then maybe you just haven't found the right value reinforcer yet. Yes. In my situation, I did have something higher value, but it was all zipped up in my training bag last night. So I did have quick access to that. And thankfully, the instructor saw she was outside. She asked the other person, would you wait? Create distance, please. Let her get in with her puppy. (laughs) Perfect. And that's exactly right with the creating the distance and giving your dog that space to be able to come back down under threshold and be able to reach that training part of their brain. Yeah. And so we might need that. That might be an example of, okay, we've hit a training speed bump. We progress too soon. I'm in an environment that's overwhelming for my dog. Yeah. I can't learn in this environment. That's fine. Back up, get success at the earlier step, and then move in that more distracting environment. Excellent. So if you want to learn more about Lisa's steps to create a rocket recall, I highly recommend that you buy her book, The Rocket Recall, and you can find it on Amazon, DogWise, major book retailers. And I want to congratulate you on making it on the top of the charts on Amazon for pet training books. It deserves to be there. I devoured it. And Thank I you. highly recommend it. I just really appreciate it. I'm so happy that I've had such positive reviews on it because it it is something I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about teaching it in a very humane, force-free and fear-free way that yeah. causes your dog to have that desire to want to return to you when you call. Thank you. And for our listeners who would love to dig right in today. You have a free gift for them. I'll include the link in the show notes, but can you tell them a little bit more about it? I can. It's my quick reference guide to Rocket Recall. So you'll get the 12 rules of Rocket Recall, which we've just talked through. And I think it's a wonderful way. If you just glance at those once every day, keep them nearby, just skim them. You will eventually learn them and you'll have kind of the shell of things that are going to help you support your dog through training, even before you read my book. But of course, I do want you to read the book. Those training and behavior concepts that we talked about are are so important in helping you understand why you're doing things and how you can solve problems when a trainer isn't with you or when you hit those little speed bumps. I talk about what a lot of the speed bumps can be and why they happen. And you'll learn how to climb right over those towards success. And we provide a wide range of dog training services, all virtual. So whether it's recall or separation anxiety, which is our specialty, we have four certified separation anxiety trainers working under our Cold Notes College umbrella. We're just happy we can work with clients no matter where they are these days. Wonderful. And if somebody wanted to reach out to you, I know that there's a long waiting list for a lot of certified separation anxiety trainers. And if you guys have any openings, how could someone reach out to you to work together virtually? You can find us coldnosecollege.com. You Great. would click on the separation anxiety page and follow the prompts there to schedule an initial consult and video assessment. And we have under the pet parent section, it's a drop down menu of by service, surviving the puppy period, 
we're doing that right now, Brad and I are, because we have a puppy at our home, or maybe it's mind your manners for dogs, or maybe it's anxiety or fear or aggression, you can select that service and be led to the trainers who provide that support, book through our system, and you'll be set up for the initial consult. Thank you, Lisa. And I so appreciate your staying on afterwards with our membership, the Doodle Pro Society, where you're going to teach them the first game from your book to create a great foundation for recall. You're just so lovely. Thank you. Oh, I share your passion and I love the methods that you teach. Thank you. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Doodle Pro Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And I invite you to follow me on Instagram at thedoodlepro for behind the scenes peeks at all of the adorable doodles I work with daily.